0: Um, Hello, everyone. Uh, I am here with Sherry. Sherry is a friend that I met through Paul Vanderclay's Discord community. Um, I'll post some of the links where you can see some of her conversations with Paul. Um, And Sherry is something like a self-taught expert in the church fathers, or at least a (laughs) uh, a church father hobbyist or something like that. You spend a lot of time (laughs) reading them and sharing quotes and stuff like that. And so so I I'm I'm eager to talk about what you've been reading and and what you've been learning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um the journey kind of started. I'm just trying to think back now. Um what was it that got me going on these guys? Oh, I know. Um I asked Dave I asked Dave a question about at the time, I didn't know what theosis was,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so I asked him a question on the Discord about something, and he he sent me a, um, uh, it was a paper by Callistos Ware called Hope, or no, Dare We Hope for
3: mm-hmm.
1: Salvation for All, or something along those lines. And it had a quote in there from origin, a very disputed quote, actually, that I've found out about now, um, you know, about the preexistence of souls and all that kind of thing. And, and um, being the kind of person I am, that really resonated with me. And immediately I wanted to know more about this guy. Now mm-hmm. I'm finding out that he didn't even really write that. But, Interesting. You know, that was... Um, According to the introduction of john Baer's book on on first principles um, the original english trans or the original translation from from Rufinus like I was a German guy, and I can't think of his name now. do you remember his name? No, his name?
0: I don't remember his name, but i I know who you're talking about
1: yeah he um he actually inserted some of the some of the what do they call those an
0: Anecdotes or anathemous?
1: anathemas? Anathemas, yeah. He inserted some of the actual anathemas into Origen's writing. Interesting. Uh, because he felt that they were more true of Origen than um, what Origen was actually saying. So right, or, was, or, or quite, what
0: Rufinus was saying, yeah. Or
1: what Rufinus was putting together. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, um, but aside from all that, so that, that kind of got me interested. And then I thought, well, you know, I, I just, I'd like to get back to kind of the, as close to the source as possible, right. Right. As I possibly could. And origin is also credited with laying the foundation for much of the f- theology that we have today. Mm-hmm. So, um, I thought, well, what, what better person to start with? And um, uh, that led me then to Maximus, you know, and I did, and I've only really listened to John Bear's, um, you know, uh, lectures on Athanasius. I haven't read any of Athanasius actually, mm-hmm. but I do have another book um, by Maximus that I'm, that I'm also reading at the, at the same time. So yeah, that's kind of uh you know, I wouldn't yeah. call myself a, an expert by any means. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm reading essays online, you know, by different people. I've also got a book called uh, Dare We um, you Know A Larger Hope by Ilaria Ramelli. She was um, recommended by David Bentley Hart in his book. And of course, these people are all drawing from early church fathers, right? Gregory of Nyssa, Origen, and, um, and Maximus, actually. So, yeah, it's just it's just where I'm at at the moment, and and I'm you know curiously perusing it and finding out that it's a very deep well.
0: Right. Thing. It's yeah. it can be a little intimidating for sure. It's, it is, yeah. Yeah i I first started reading Church Fathers in college at some point right around the time that I had my sort of first flare up with um, my uh, um, not being a Trinitarian getting me in trouble. Um, And so I sort of was like, like you, I wanted to go back to the source, although I I had very much had like that specific theological question in mind. Um, And a lot of I I just found a lot of their writings almost incomprehensible or like you know you could read the words and I like kind of know what they're talking about but honestly a lot of it sounded silly I guess is almost like an embarrassing thing to admit and um like like all the sort of allegorical interpretation and stuff when my, my 20 or 21-year-old self was like, well, that's just a silly way to read the Bible. Yeah. You know, you're just totally reading that into it. No wonder you guys have silly theological ideas. And I just didn't get what they were up to or what they were mm-hmm. about really at all. And I got some amount out of it. I found Augustine the easiest to understand, if I'm, if yeah. I'm honest. But, but some of the, the Greek church fathers, I, I just found as befuddling as I did helpful.
1: And now, have you read them? Like,
0: what, what is your take on it now? Sure. So I reread Athanasius's On the Incarnation last month, I would say. And I understood so much more. Like, I, I'm sure that there's still a lot that I'm missing. But, like, knowing more about the theological context, I feel like Jonathan Peugeot is really helpful <laughs> yeah. for, for being able to, to read and understand them. And then listening to John Barron, stuff like that. I feel like it it was just completely different where I could actually maybe feel like I was understanding a decent amount of not just what he's saying it, but why he's saying it, why he's saying it in the way that he's saying it and those sorts of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I've learned from John bear is, is that reading, reading these guys is entering a whole different perspective. Yeah. You know, and, um, like I did that, I did, um, in the book club, I did, uh, we went through Barfield saving the appearances and I'm kind of glad I did that actually before I got into this because, um, thinking like approaching the early church fathers from my point of view would be, it would just fall flat, mm-hmm. I think, you know? And, and, and so in a sense, you have to, you have to almost put yourself in their shoes, you know, which I don't even know how to do. Like I seriously, I'm I'm still grappling with all of that, but it's a very different way of approaching, um, scripture.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I am, you know, as a coming out of a Protestant kind of background, I was very much, um, adverse to thinking about not taking the bible literally for much of my life Mm -hmm. even though i i i didn't really act that out but somewhere in there and you know you know luke would be proud of this in my propositional brain (laughs) Mm -hmm. there there was this little voice that said oh no you know don't don't go down that path right um and I'm starting to understand better. I don't have a full grasp on it, but I'm understanding better what it means to read the scriptures allegorically. Mm-hmm. And even I would go so far as to say mythologically. Yeah. Right. Because I think that these guys were, because of the way that they looked at it as a whole. And when I say scriptures, they're, you know it's often the old Testament, what we call the old Testament. Um, they're looking at it as a whole right and i don't even want to say narrative because
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah um yeah it's it's you know or origin says you know that he, he's gonna he's gonna you know go to from the end we'll see the beginning and from the beginning we'll see the end like you know it's 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 a great big picture for them right and um I don't know very much about um Augustine or you know any of these guys that followed after, not even Calvin for that matter. But if I look at the way that people lo- look at the scriptures today, I I I they get so caught up in the particulars.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that that um they lose the um Yeah, the thrust of the story, I guess, or the the thread, you know, yeah. that runs through
0: it. And yeah. I I think you're absolutely right. That I think a lot of this just has to a lot of our difference and our distance from the 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 Greek Church fathers has to do with how we understand Scripture. And like like you said, I grew up in a church that, like, even if literal isn't exactly the right word we we took a very i don't know concrete i guess maybe yeah. at least um understanding of of what scripture was supposed to be and then like you know i got into sort of like even i kind of liked bart ehrman and and stuff like that and even if i didn't agree with all of his conclusions i you know i really liked knowing the context and you know oh this letter from Paul was probably written in this year and knowing the sequence and the original audience. And like, for me, the way I grew up and I really embrace like the way to understand scripture properly is to understand sort of the surface level concrete meaning as it was meant to its original audience by the original author. And mm-hmm. if you're doing anything, if you're taking any liberties to to step uh, beyond beyond that reading, then you're getting dangerous and subjective, and right. are going to read your own willing conclusions into that. So, like when, like I said, when I was in college and I read some of the church fathers, and I very much had that concept in mind, and I didn't even think that there would be other ways of reading scripture, really. Like that yeah. it was just so ingrained in me that I didn't have a different perspective it was that was frustrating, I'm like, man, they're really bad at reading the Bible. <laughs> don't they know that it actually <laughs> says this? <laughs> like no, that's not what he meant <laughs> you you know like yeah. like that sort of thing and yeah. and it really did take i don't know some combination of of well, really, what did start to crack my my, under, my I don't know, mindset on that was honestly having to change my mind about evolution. And because uh, I grew up in a church that very much believed in, in six-day creationism or mm-hmm. at least some very concrete literal form of uh, taking Genesis as something close to historical science. And yeah. so then when I, when I changed my mind on that, I was like, okay, well, then when the world is Genesis, therefore, what is it trying to say? and that was when i sort of well maybe maybe it's sort of true like the way myths are true mm-hmm. but but like in in a god ordained sort of way right mm-hmm. it's not just like a greek myth but it's supposed to be maybe read that way and i just didn't really have the or the vocabulary for it it was just sort yeah. of a an art it was an intuition or something like that
1: yeah you could actually you could actually compare that to um, you know your first day in gymnastics class <laughs> right because these guys are flexible like their thought is so flexible and you're just stiff right uh-huh. I mean that's how I feel I feel really stiff and I feel like I'm having to you know move parts of my my body that or my mind that have hasn't been moved you know ever or very little and um I mean, Barfield alone was, was that just trying to, you know, okay, wait a minute. Like, what is he, you know, talking about? And then I'd ask someone and they'd give me some answer that was the same as Barfield's. And I'd be like, I still don't know what you're talking about. Like, I just don't know what you're talking about, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, but you said something there, um, Oh yeah, when you were talking about the letters of Paul and 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 you know learning that about where they sat in history and all this stuff, um, one of the things that started cropping up in 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 my thought processes was that that this story, you know, this whole picture that they're looking at, is 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 marred, in a sense, by time. Okay, so like we have this we we live within time right and god is timeless it doesn't even exist and 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 so they're taking us out into the cosmos of timelessness right mm-hmm. and we're just like you know well you know first of all i don't even recognize half the time when we're out there and then all of a sudden i'm like oh wait a minute we're 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 talking about timelessness here you know and um and then, secondly, you, you, it's so hard to think about that, right? Yeah. It's so hard to think about not being within time. And um, and and you know, we we are like that. We are chronological, right? We we want to lay things out. We want to you know put them in a nice neat row and say this is the beginning and this is the end and you know and all this stuff happens in between at these times and. And it gives us a sense of, you know, growth or scaling or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and that we can under, you know, we can kind of grasp it. But to think about, John Bear asked a question in one of those lectures, something like, um, when Christ was, was creating the world, uh, how did he put it now?
2: Um,
1: you know, oh, geez, I know i totally lost it. Something like when Christ was creating the world, was he also entering the womb of Mary? Yeah. Like, right? Because to God, he was. It was all happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that just makes my mind want to explode.
0: Right, right. Like he, there was... I, I was just listening to the, the. You can find two lectures of John Baer talking about Athanasius's on the Incarnation, and yeah. I was just re-listening to the first one of those earlier today, um, and he he was talking about how in you know in John one how um, it's like and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and and he asked the question so when was that, mm-hmm. right. He's like well we always hear oh it means the birth right it's like well John 1 never says anything about a birth mm-hmm. right and in fact the word becomes flesh after we've already talked about John the Baptist for a while so mm-hmm. it's like so when when is that and yeah. and is that even the question that that you know you should be asking right? right and and it's like so in the beginning you know that's how the gospel of John starts When's yeah. the beginning? Are we talking about the beginning of all time, like in Genesis? Or are we talking about the beginning of Jesus's ministry? You know, mm-hmm. you know what? What it's it's like, or or is that even then leading you on the wrong train of thought to even try and resolve that question that way? Right, right, right. It's almost like because the word beginning, and I think this this is very connected to this whole allegorical church father perspective is in RK and RK also means um ruler like monarchy right is from the word rk and it also means source or principle right so in the beginning or in the in the principle of the thing or it's like and those ideas are all kind of wrapped up together right like from the source and and it has the idea of time is connected to it but it's more than just time in the same word. And so so that, it's like, when we're trying to do this allegorical interpretation, or even if you don't like it, you still have to understand these guys. To understand these guys, you still have to understand how they thought. And it's hard to not have it rub off on you after a certain amount. And (laughs) so it's like all of this, they're trying to describe the timeless realities and patterns of things. Right, And it's just hard for us not to realize that they aren't really talking about sequence in the way that we're used to.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, when you start, so I started down the rabbit hole with uh, ultimate reconciliation, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of universal salvation, Mm -hmm. Um, not universalism. I just want to, you know, put a little caveat in there, but, and, um, And then I ended up going, well, wait a minute. I first, before that, I got to understand the incarnation. And then it's like, no, let's look at the cross. Right. And then it's, well, uh, the cross and the resurrection, it's all one thing. Right. And, and, and then all of a sudden you're, you're integrated. You're, you're, and then, and then you're in that world where everything Mm -hmm. is integrated. It's all one thing. Like it's, you know um and and origin just keeps pressing on that right he just keeps pressing on it um he flips from the new testament to the old testament to the new testament to the old testament you know he talks about the end and the beginning and the beginning and the end and he's constantly pushing you into this whole thing you know and and it's a mind warp mm-hmm. like really that that that's that's what it is that's the challenge for me anyways is and i'm kind of hoping that i can t- i can actually you know get there <laughs> right you know i'm kind of hoping that i can not i i know i'm never going to probably understand this uh, you know thoroughly but i would like to be able to try to think about what god's project is the way that they are thinking about it because I think that the way I think about it right now is very one dimensional. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's it's this, right? It's this book, mm-hmm. this text. I'm caught up in the text because of my 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 background.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I and it needs to it needs to come to life for me, like it needs to take on a shape, right?
0: Right. And, and this is, so this is one reason why I really liked Jordan Peterson, even though Jordan Peterson seems to have almost no familiarity with the early church fathers, as far as I know. (laughs) Um, but, but he sort of helped, helped wake me up to, he helped communicate some inklings of this way of thinking, um, in a way that connected with me and in a way that I could understand. Right. When I first started listening to his biblical series, what caught my attention was, oh, Sam, this is connected to that idea that's been on the back burner of your mind since you changed your mind about evolution. Right. Mm -hmm. You were looking for a way to understand how Genesis could be true, even if it didn't mean that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And. And I'd never really come, I'd never really done anything with that. I just kind of knew that was a problem that I needed to resolve. And then so when when Jordan Peterson's talking about all this symbolic stuff and this Jungian archetypes and all of these things, I'm like, yes, like, like the, yeah. that part of me was like, this was this was what I was trying to say. I didn't quite know how to say it. And I didn't quite know how to connect it to these larger ideas, but he was helping me answer that question that had been lingering around unresolved for years at that point right, right and and it's sort of like connected to this idea that there's part of our mind that's just kind of inbuilt in us that already knows how to understand stories and already has these sort of images that it's looking for these patterns that it's looking for in a story and that our brain is just sort of naturally built to see some of these things and that's why we like movies that we like and don't like movies that we don't like and stuff like that and why there's so many patterns in in myths and stories across the world
1: yeah yeah and then there's also something like we uh we were talking about this in the in the Lilith book club yesterday there's something about uh, I think it was Andrea said something like well why why can't he just tell them?" you know Like he's in this dreamy world. He doesn't get anything and he's not getting any straight answers. Why can't he, why can't the Raven just tell the guy what's going on? Right. And, and it's kind of like, well, why, why doesn't Jesus just, or why doesn't God just, you know, give us signs and wonders and prove himself? It's the same question really. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, there, there's something to this veiling and unveiling. Right. Like we have, we have this, some kind of mechanism. I don't know what it's called, because I'm not a psychologist, but where we're able to, you know, it's like, well, Jesus used the phrase, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and, you know, from your own experience, I know from mine, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, you'll go along in life, and all of a sudden, you'll have this aha moment, whatever, for whatever reason. And you'll think, well, how why, why come I never saw that before? You know, we, we have this way of learning, you know, and I think it's that part of your brain like you were talking about, this, the, the pattern recognizing part of your brain that is picking up all this intuitive information, right? And, it, and it's storing it. It's, it's in there. And then all of a sudden, the last piece just goes click, mm-hmm. right? And it's this veiling and unveiling. And when that happens, we don't forget it. It's kind mm-hmm. of transformative, in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and and all the other information, just in you know the old in, in ear in one ear and out the other kind of thing, right? So, and and I, I think that that is 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 also really interesting because God made us that way. Yes. Right. So. And Jesus used it. Yeah. Used that. Right, he told stories, he gave parables, and he knew some people weren't going to get it mm-hmm. when he told the stories, you know. And, um, and, and so, I find that kind of fascinating as well yeah. that whole idea of veiling and unveiling,
0: right? And I really liked what you said like, God made us this way. This is mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like there is something like the part of us that is looking for God's story that's right. looking for the gospel in us already. It's not yes. that we know it already. It's that there's part of us that knows to look for it and hopefully to recognize it and connect the dots once we've seen it. It's sort right. of like, you know, the myth made flesh, right? The the we have this mythos, this mythopoetic sense in our heads. That you know likes fairy tales and likes Star Wars movies yeah. and Harry Potter and those sorts of things, because it it knows how to play those notes and connect with those sorts of intuitions and symbols and patterns, but it's it's really the fullest expression of this is is the the story of the Bible itself, yeah. and and that these church fathers are, I think, really what they're doing is that in the language that they have, in the ideas that they have in the time that they were living, they're trying to connect the wires on these things, right? Yes. They're uh, trying to help take this inbuilt story sensing myth pattern thing and connect it with the details of the Bible and connect it with yeah. the Old Testament and the New Testament so that, it, so that we see it for what it is right? or something like that.
1: Yeah, well... You know, what's coming to my mind right now is a a really fantastic, I should, uh, I will send it to you. Um, It's a, it's an essay by George MacDonald called The Imagination. And he talks about how, one of the things he says that I really love, and this, this is as a result, I I got into this because of Barfield, actually, I um, ended up reading this essay. Um, He says that um, nature is... Is is man turned? No wait. see <laughs> so here's my mind again. Nature. It, the representations of nature are man turned inside out. And I can't check it because it's on my iPad right now. Okay. Something to that effect, anyways. If if it's wrong, I'll 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 send you the essay. Um so everything that's happening inside of us is represented in the world outside of us. Right. And, 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 you know, when Jordan Peterson talked about the, the idea of awe and how we're actually wired for it, like our hair stands on end. Right. Mm-hmm. And we get a, we get this tingling all over when something connects, right. When something does that thing, I thought, well, you know, that is because, like and when I read George McDonald's essay, I was like, okay, there it is. You know, it's 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 a recognition of what, what's already inside of us, right? It's already there, like you were saying. That's why Jesus could say, if you seek the truth, you will find it. You know, the clause there is if you seek it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like everyone's gonna find the truth, but if you seek it. You will find it Mm -hmm. right and it's almost to me that that whole inner world there that that you were describing it's like a little homing device for god yeah you know it's that divine spark that we always talk about that imago day right it's it's the thing that wants to go home
0: right and you know. even to to give John Calvin his due, and uh, yeah. to, to give a shout out to Paul Vander Clay and Calvinism, is um, yeah, Calvin had the idea of the sensus divinitatis, the divine sense, right? Mm-hmm. And that there was something about us that knew to look for God innately inside us, uh, essentially.
1: Right. Yeah, and when Jordan Peterson talked about that, to me, that's what that is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Um Baltazar had this idea of the three transcendentals right the um truth what is what are they truth goodness and beauty
0: truth sure yes
1: something like goodness truth and beauty or something to that effect well he put beauty at the front Mm -hmm. and he put beauty up front because he said the other two truth and goodness they kind of make you step back but it's beauty that draws you in right? Mm-hmm. And George MacDonald talks a lot about that. Beauty draws you in, and when you're drawn in, then you see the truth and the goodness, right? That, mm-hmm. that is part of that veiling and unveiling process. And, and that, that, that's what I'm really, like, I only ever read fiction, Sam, in my life. I hated anything that had uh, a look uh-huh. to it like this. I
0: am the opposite. (laughs) And it's funny. It's like, we seem like we're, I am a statistician. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, you know, Oh my God. And now these, these books are piling up, you know, beside Mm -hmm. my bed, Right. And I'm just like, I can't stop reading them Yeah. because the beauty of what they are weaving is drawing me in to truth and goodness. It's what it is. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah and yeah let's see i so I have this idea sort of like about this is connected to s- statistics, but I think it weirdly helps maybe it helps me understand how this like might work inside of us yeah. sure um there so you can you can train artificial intelligence, say, to distinguish between cats and dogs, right you give it a million pictures of dogs, you give it okay. a million pictures of cats, you tell it, this is a dog, this is a cat, right? And and you, you train the algorithm and then hopefully it can, you know, you can show it new pictures and it can tell you whether it's a cat or a dog, right? right? So, so you do that process, right? And it, it's really just sort of this, you know, it's basically setting a bunch of dials on a very complex machine, right? Mm-hmm. So that it can learn to, to sort between cats and dogs. And then what you can do is you can do the reverse. So once you've, once you've trained this thing to, to recognize between cats and dogs, you start trying to figure out the picture that it thinks is like the most dog-like, right? You ask it, how much do you think this is a dog? Right, And it's like, well, I'm 90% sure that's a dog. And then you change the pixels a little bit. And it's like, well, now I'm 95% sure. And you just keep making it trying to, you keep making an image. You sort of randomly change it and you find what it thinks is the most dog-like thing. And it's hilarious. There's like 15 floppy ears and like (laughs) tongues all over the place and like noses. And it's like this, it like, it doesn't look like a dog at all right no. <laughs> it 's like it 's like this hallucinogenic trippy <laughs> psychodog that that sure. isn 't even a dog right <laughs> so so it doesn 't know what a dog is right it, yeah. is the funny thing about this it, and when you ask it what 's the most dog like thing, it just like <laughs> hallucinates this this absolutely bizarre thing, and you can do the thing with cats, and then there 's just a bunch of whiskers and yeah. teeth. <laughs> and triangle <laughs> ears and, and stuff like that. And, and it's like, it, it's not a cat, but yeah. you can tell that it's certainly more of a cat than a dog. Um, uh, so it, it's funny. And, and what I think that that is, is it's sort of like, I think a lot of us is sort of like an algorithm that's been trained to recognize the forms, but we yeah. don't know what the forms are in themselves, right? Yeah. And when the real thing shows itself, we're like, yes, that's it, right? Yeah. We, we can't say what the essence of a dog is, but we are good at recognizing it. Like that AI algorithm, if you ask it what a dog is, it has no clue what a dog is. But right. when you show it a dog, it's like, yes, that, right? Yeah. And I think there's something analogous like that to us. It's yeah. like, there's something about us that's been shaped to look for God. There's something about us that's been shaped to see, you know, the archetype of Christ. And, and we couldn't generate it ourselves. Like when we try and generate it ourselves, we make things that are like Harry Potter or things that are like all these other things. And they're kind of right, but they're kind of exaggerated and off. But then when we see it, we see that this just isn't the, this isn't just a man this is the thing that is fulfilling what inside of me was trained programmed you know inbuilt yeah. to to recognize for the first time yeah
1: yeah yeah you know, when you were describing that i just couldn't help but thinking um that's i almost at least for myself um i got I get the the feeling that um, how can I explain this It's difficult, so you've got all this time that's passed like from the from the resurrection to now right and you've got all these people looking at all these events and all this text and trying to understand it and they've been you know creating a, a an image let's say of, of Okay, this is what I think it looks like, and then someone else comes on and goes, "Well, wait, let's it's almost right, but you forgot the nose, right? Mm-hmm. And then someone else comes along and says, "But no, the ears aren't round, they're pointy, you know and the, and they keep going, right? Pretty soon you have this monster dog, right? Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know this thing with like fifteen ears, and you know like when you were telling okay. that, I was like, Oh my God, this is so right and And when I'm reading... Origin and Maximus, I'm I'm getting taken back to this very basic image, right? But it's such a profound image that I can't even really see it yet,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because I'm, I'm I have been so focused on all these little particulars that I don't have the shape, yeah. you know, of the thing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, so there's that too. Like I, I really think that that you know, we're just, we, we, we're so good at complicating things, right? Making things more complicated than they should be. This mm-hmm. is why when when um, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, I love that verse. Because first of all, he's talking about a yoke and a burden. And then he's describing them as easy and light. Mm-hmm. So you really have to think about that. What does that mean? You know, it doesn't mean easy as in, not hard or easy, as in um I think it means uncomplicated, unfettered, right mm-hmm. It's still a task, but it's not it's it's a simple
0: thing. it's doable, and it shouldn't cause you anxiety, yeah,, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, or confusion, yeah, yeah
0: mhm yeah it's it's not like showing up to your final exam and feeling like oh no i definitely didn't study enough or yeah. something like that it's the opposite yeah. of that feeling yeah. you can do it right it's it's inside of you the ability to do it but you do yeah, need when, to do and, it and,
1: and, and when you're doing it you won't it, it won't feel like it's hard mm-hmm. right you there has to be you know he gave us he, he's he's, he's given us life abundant, you know, he's given us strength. He's, he's given us boldness. He's given us all these things. And, um, you know, honestly, like when I came across that stuff earlier in my, in my Christian life, I looked around me and I thought, well, you know, these people don't look like they're doing it. Like not to sound judgmental, but they, they just seem really burdened down with their Christianity, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it, it's interesting. So we we were both sort of driven into the church fathers by, I guess, something like present-day theological questions.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
0: you were you were interested in sort of universal reconciliation, yeah. kind of spurred perhaps by by David Bentley Hart, um, and or Luke Thompson, and. <laughs> um, <laughs> and i i was forced to take a look at them forced to because of, of my you know obsession and problems with this question of the trinity yeah and and we it seems like we didn't exactly find the answers that we were looking for or at least yeah. not we didn't find not i didn't yet. find what i was looking for at all really <laughs> um <laughs> but what i did find was, was something i don't know stranger like it's easy to be disappointed when you don't see what you what you're looking for or to to give up kind of quickly but if you keep at it and say well what what can i learn Mm -hmm. instead it's 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 interesting
1: it's much more fulfilling and yeah i i'm kind of glad that i'm not finding what i'm looking for i'm actually feel like i fell and tripped into a well you know Mm -hmm. like i'm just like oh my god you know like i'm i'm way down here flailing around right and the thing that I went to look for is not even important anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> in a sense, you know? Right. Um, and um, I, I'm okay with, you know, not having all the answers too. So, you know, I have my personal convictions about things and, and I think that that's okay to do. That's okay to have, you know, um, cause you have to, come to terms with something, you know, it's just in our nature, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to throw out my hands and shrug every time someone asks me a question, you know, but, um, yeah. And the, and the idea of universal reconciliation, actually, that, that came through reading George MacDonald for me. I, I read George MacDonald's unspoken sermons and I was like, what is he talking about? Like, honestly, Sam, i would never even heard the concept of there not being a hell, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I never heard of annihilationism before either. Like I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, there was just the elect and the unelect, you know, the saved and the damned, you know, (laughs) heaven and hell. Like that was it, you know, pretty black and white. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so when, when, when he started talking about this, I, I thought, well, I can't just dismiss it. You know, he's talking about it for a reason. I have to look into it. So that's what I did.
0: What, what brought you George McDonald? I've actually, <laughs> I've, I don't think I've ever read any of him, if I'm honest.
1: Well, you might not like him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, he's really, he's he's very wooey. Let's put mm. it that way. And, you know, there's just, just some personality types that just, I, I think it was Andrea said at one point. You know, my eyes glaze over whenever you post a quote from George McDonald. <laughs> you know, and I get that, you know, like this this, this happens to me too from certain people. Hmm. But um I think it was Luke posted a link to his justice sermon. And I read it. So I, I I just, you know, put the PDF on my iPad and I was sitting outside and I was reading it out loud because it was hard to understand. So I thought, well, if I read it out loud, it'll be easier. And it's a quite a long sermon actually. And, um, I started to weep reading it. It was, it was just, uh, so enlightening. And then I immediately found where, where it was from. And it was in, in the unspoken sermons. And then I downloaded the whole thing and read, read through them. I haven't finished it yet, but, um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really, um, helpful to me because what George McDonald does is he takes these ideas and he puts them in a story form.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He puts them in as a relatable form, right? Something that you can grasp. And, um, yeah, we're, we're reading Lilith right now and, and I feel like I've got a cheat sheet because I've read the unspoken sermons and I kind of know where, what, you know, what concept he's, he's getting at in the, in the story. I don't know the whole story yet, but,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah, so that, that's how I ended up. That's actually how I ended up in the church fathers.
0: This yep. George yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and did George McDonald study them a lot? And,
1: you know, I don't, I haven't found out any information. I know he taught at a university. Or college, um, he influenced so many people, like so many people that you wouldn't even imagine, um, not even within his own lifetime, like later down the road kind of thing too. But um, he did teach. He was a pastor for a short period of time, but they kicked him out.
0: Mm-hmm. What what um, denomination was he part of? The Church of I England. I
1: think he was Presbyterian. Okay. Scottish,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, it was, it's funny because they they tried um, getting him to leave by lowering his wages, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Well, you know, the Lord will look after me. I'll be fine." You know, he he knew what they were up to, right?
2: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and I think eventually they just, you know, gave him the mm-hmm. boot. But um. um I I I I have to assume that he he knew his church fathers. Mhm. Yeah. 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 Now that I'm reading them, you know, I'm going, "Oh, okay. Yeah, this is what he's talking about." You right. Know? Yeah. And David Bentley Hart actually said in one of his lectures that he he thinks he should be sainted. He <laughs> should be Saint George, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. A lot of insight.
0: Bo Branson, who's um who I've I've had on my channel twice now, he's uh he's a Eastern Orthodox professor. Um and I'm doing a am uh, in a book club with him and a couple other oh, people cool. studying um Irenaeus. Um yeah. and Irenaeus isn't quite, or at least the parts that I've read of him so far aren't quite really like this, aren't really in the sort of symbolic allegorical land as much. Yeah. Well, we're reading against heresies where he mainly just takes the Gnostics to task. Um, And so maybe he's up to other things, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. he he had this muscle, but just wasn't using it at the time. But, but Bro Branson doesn't particularly like David Bentley Hart. Uh, (laughs) I think it's kind of funny. Um, But like, Kind of related to what you're saying about falling in a well and kind of forgetting what it was that got you there, I've I've been having like increasingly the conviction that like kind of you know, like growing up in evangelicalism, there was just, you know, this hard line between Trinitarianism and Unitarianism, right? Mm-hmm. And the battle lines were clear. And the dividing lines were obvious, right? And uh, and then like when I would cross one of the lines, I knew I was crossing it. And then if I got in trouble, like I understood, right? Yeah, Perfect. Right. It, it was very black and white from both sides, from both perspectives. Yeah. Um, and then so I'd always kind of thought the Trinity was something of Athanasius's fault. And I'm not the only person who thinks that, right? The Trinitarians <laughs> think that, the, that Athanasius is the great defender. So I was like, well, so I need to read this guy and understand him and, and get to, to better understand where this came from. And honestly, the battle lines that were, I thought, clear, he- yeah,
1: They're not.
0: They're not. And he yeah. doesn't seem to be neatly fitting in either box. And there's part of me that's like, well, I don't know if, in fact, my Unitarian side is actually closer to agreeing with him in some things than sort of modern evangelical Trinitarianism was. And even then, most of the time, he's not talking about things that either of us really cared about. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He's just off in a different place. And like, what what my church growing up would always emphasize is that Jesus was known in the foreknowledge of God, right? Yeah. Jesus was always part of God's plan. He was always part of God's wisdom. And that it was sort of God's eternal plan happening now in Jesus, right? And that doesn't mean that he was like deciding to come down, right? That was sort of our, our shtick. And the Trinitarian shtick was like, you know, Jesus was, or the sun was up there in the beginning. He's going through time. And then at zero BC, he comes down as an earth. (laughs) And then he he goes back up, right? And it it was very temporal, right? We were talking about time. And then Athanasius just doesn't seem to be up to either of those things. Right? There is part of him. Yeah, there is part of him that when he talks about, you know, God created all of these things in their fullness, and then- and then Jesus is fulfilling it now i 'm like, well, that sounds like what I grew up being taught right 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 and but then he 's also like, and everything was created through this, and then we see it on you know creation reaches its culmination on the cross, and it 's like yeah. well which side does that agree with? And then even then, why, why Sam are you still obsessed with these sides when you're trying to, you know, perhaps just let him speak for himself instead of constantly adding up the tally on, on either side of things is sort of the point that I was getting to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, even origin, same thing, Sam, when he talks about the incarnation, same thing. It, because it, it gets back into this whole thing of timelessness, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we can't understand. Right. That's why we don't understand the incarnation. And that's why we, we, we make it, uh, what's the word? We, we do draw the battle lines on it, right? Yeah. We, we're draw, what we're doing is drawing battle lines on what, how we can understand it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. I would even go so far as to say that both sides are right, mm-hmm. you know, not that that solves anything, but you know, I, I, that, that's the feeling I'm getting. Like when I watched the, the lectures on Athanasius and reading origin and Maximus, cause they, they always, they take everything to the cross, which I find really stirring. Like yeah. that, that's the only word I can use to describe it. Mm -hmm. and and, you know paul even says you know it it it, it's christ i preach christ and him crucified okay it's the cross right the cross is the crux it's the thing it's the it's it's the fulfillment of everything it's it's the culmination of of this project that god is is doing you know Mm -hmm. And when when Origen and Athanasius talk about incarnation, they go right to the cross. Yeah, they don't start with the birth. Right. They start with the cross. hmm And and we, you know, anybody who's ever thought about incarnations starts at Bethlehem most right. of the time.
0: Right. Right, because it's the it's the spirit getting zapped down right. in from and then. <laughs> it's but, the
1: injection. Right. You know,
0: <laughs> the of injection. The
1: <laughs> into the human
0: but but like trying to connect it back with things we've said earlier it's like the it's like the symbolic heightening or something like that i don't know like like when we have eyes to see the cross for what it was it's when we connect it with that sort of mythopoetic uh you know uh eyes and way of seeing things that's built into us we need to see it with that if yeah. we're just seeing it with our historical eyes, where it's like, oh, man, that that guy had a really rough day, right? Yeah. I, I'm glad I'm not him, right? Like, you know, if it's just a simple sort of like narrative, like the way you would report the news or something like that, right. you're not seeing it. You need right. to be seeing it with sort of the spiritual eyes, the allegorical yeah. eyes, you might say. Yeah. And so when they're talking about the incarnation, it's more like what they're saying is it's all of that that you have been waiting to see is happening now right right it's like this eternal truth that's sort of built into us and we have the ability to see it's now there in time right
1: right and and i don't know um if you ever saw my very first conversation with paul vanderclay but it in that conversation i think i I watched
0: it yesterday
1: oh okay (laughs) I had this idea rolling around in my head and I was really actually quite afraid to talk about it because, well, for one thing, I knew that my father would freak out if I expressed it, you know, oh, that's not right, you know, and you can't say that. And, and so I thought, well, I can't. I don't want to say heresy, like, I don't want to speak heresy, like, I'll, I'll go to hell, right? <laughs> and so I had this whole thing going in my mind, you know, and I'm like, okay, God's communing in the garden, you know, it's it's God and man. It's this picture of God and man. I kept seeing this God and man, God and man and Christ, God and man. And then the end is God and man, like, you know, and, and that's what I was trying to express to Paul. I probably did a really bad job of it because I didn't know anything. Like I, I, I knew nothing, right. When I was talking to Paul, I just had this thing, this, mm-hmm. I could see that pattern. Okay. And that's what I was seeing. I was seeing this pattern and and i kept thinking christ is it's he's the center of it right he's so like we want to like john bear actually says this we want to take all these things and parse them up into different
2: mm-hmm.
1: um moments in time you know like the birth the crucifixion the resurrection you know the tongues of fire you know but it's all one thing right it's this thing that came into the world for one reason and and i'm moving more moving more in that direction as as time goes on and it's actually what i'm seeking now from origin I, i i got this book because i was seeking more information on ultimate reconciliation but now i'm looking for God's project. What's Mm -hmm. God's project? And I really believe that his project is creating human beings, right? I think Mm -hmm. that that's what he's doing. And Christ was the first human being,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. right? He was divine and he was human. That was the goal, you know? And that was the sense that I had when I looked at the garden, right? And and like when origin says, we're going to look at the end so that we can see the beginning and we're going to look at the beginning so that we can see the end. That's what I was doing. Right. Right. And I was going, okay, wait, it's, it's this and it's this. And then wait, in the middle, there it is. There it right. is. There is the thing.
0: And right. now, and then those passages, like all things were created through him and in him, right? Yeah. Like, Th- that suddenly just takes on this very different sense than yeah. when I'm trying to argue about it with, I don't know, evangelical apologists or something like that. It's like Jesus is the first human being that God has made. It's like, yeah, what, right? It's yeah. like, no, that's not that. You're out of sequence, right, or, <laughs> or something like that, right? And but but it's it it fits a lot better when when you think of it that way, like. I I had a, a conversation with um, J.P. Marceau. I, I, you've probably seen him in in Mary's videos, uh-huh. and yeah. yeah. So he, so I'm 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 giving him credit because he gave me this idea, and and I liked it a lot. Is that like when when you're when you're getting married, when you're when you're saying your wedding vows on your wedding day, it's like it has all of the marriage inside it, right? it has yeah. your kids if you're blessed with them inside it it has the sorrows and hard times that you have in, inside it it even has you know one of you will die first right inside of it like all of all of your marriage and you don't you don't necessarily get to know it but all of that you're agreeing to all of it when mm-hmm. when you make your your wedding vows and and that it's sort of like there's this trans time aspect to to the 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 marriage ceremony and that's yes. something like what what i think athanasius is getting at when he's talking about well the incarnation is most fully seen in the crucifixion right. not not just the birth
1: right right totally yeah yeah and and um actually i had a couple if you don't if you allow me, I have a couple of um, quotes here that I thought I would read to you because I didn't really understand them, actually. Um, It's gonna take me a second. It'll be a little bit of dead air. You wanna sing a song?
0: That's fine. No (laughs) one wants me to sing a song, trust me. Oh, Oh, my wife never lets me sing for a good reason. Um I don't have a particularly good voice. Even though I at various points in my life I've been a worship leader, I have just enough of a voice to get people to follow along, but I don't particularly enjoy <laughs> singing. I like playing musical instruments, but um I if I never had to sing in front of people again, that would be fine.
1: Uh, okay, so it's a, it's, it's a little bit of a read, but, um, I don't want to do it any injustice. So have you ever heard of Herbert McCabe? No. Okay. So he, I looked him up. He he was a Dominican, um, priest, monk, monk. And he wrote this paper called the involvement of God. Um, I think if you pay for it, you can read it on JST or JSTOR or something. Okay. Um, so it, it's, he's talking about preexistence and incarnation, and maybe you could just help me suss this out a little bit because I didn't quite understand it. So he says it is part of my thesis that that there is no such thing as the preexistent Christ. It was invented, he suggests, in the 19th century as a way of distinguishing the eternal procession of the Son from the incarnation of the Son that see that that those are those like battle lines eh? mm-hmm.
0: yeah
1: uh, that is to affirm that jesus did not become son of god in virtue of the incarnation he was already son of god before that mccabe rejects the notion from two points of view first to speak of the pre christ is to imply that god has a life story and i thought that was kind of a a, a good point <laughs> a divine story other than the story of the incarnation That's a chronos thing, right? That's a time within time thing that we do. First, the Son of God pre existed as just the Son of God, and then later he was the Son of God made man. I don't want to read all of Bear's comments. Um, So he says, There can be no succession in the, this is McCabe, there can be no succession in the eternal God, no change. Eternity is not of course, a very long time. It is not time at all. Eternity is not timeless in the sense that an instant is timeless. No, eternity is timeless because it totally transcends time. Speaking of the Son of God becoming man or coming down from heaven, McCabe writes, makes a perfectly good metaphor, but could not literally be true. So like you were talking about, you know, where this, you have this, you know, God going along and then coming down and then going up, right? We have this idea. Um, Yet from, oh, wait, from the point of view of God, then, subspecie et eternitatis, no sense can be given to the idea that at some point in God's life story, the Son became incarnate. Yet, from our point of view in history, McCabe continues, there was certainly a time when Jesus had not yet been born. And so, as McCabe puts it, Moses could have said with perfect truth, Jesus of Nazareth is not yet, or Jesus does not exist, because, of course, the future does not exist. This is what makes it future. Yet, while saying Jesus does not exist, Moses could also have simultaneously and said truthfully, the son of God does exist. This McCabe concedes might be called the pre-existence of Christ. So this, so this, these are his exact words.
0: Um, and so is this John Bear writing about McCabe? He's quoting McCabe. Uh-huh. And who's, what's this McCabe name? Herbert. John Herbert. Herbert.
1: Herbert McCabe, and it's from a a paper, a short paper actually, I saw it. I didn't read the whole thing, called The Involvement of God. Actually, I found a PDF version of it that was free. (coughs) So he says, meaning that at an earlier time in our history, and there isn't any time except in history. Okay, so he's really getting into this timelessness thing. These propositions would both have been true. Jesus does not exist, the Son of God does exist. Thus, apparently making a distinction between the existence of Jesus and the existence of the Son of God. But the phrase pre-existent Christ seems to imply not just that in the time of Moses, the Son of God exists would be true, but also that the proposition the Son of God exists now would be true. And this would be a mistake. Moses could certainly have said, it is true now that the Son of God exists, but he could not have truly said, the Son of God exists now. That proposition, which attributes temporal existence now to the Son of God, is the one that became true when Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary. The simple truth is that apart from incarnation, the Son of God exists at no time at all, at no now in eternity in which he acts upon all time, but is not himself measured by it. As Aquinas would say, before Abraham was, I am. Now, can you explain that to me slightly? Or sure. Okay.
0: The whole quote? So.
1: Well, just the, the, the idea of... Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> So this, this seems to be talking about... Like, this is... You're, and so I'm 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 just on Herbert McCabe's uh Wikipedia page right now. So he he was a Irish Dominican priest and theologian and philosopher who died in 2001. So he didn't live that long ago. So no. So I I am I am honestly a little bit befuddled because that sort of language there's the idea of Christ, right, that's eternal. Something like that. There's The principle, you might say, right? Which is interesting because that's the same like in Greek, RK, like I mentioned earlier, also means principle. Right. The source, the 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 fountainhead, the 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 principle, the cause, the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so there's this like eternal son of God that is not in time, right? And this was always because I'm trying to avoid the like, well, wait a minute. Why am I getting called the heretic? (laughs) If if this is what Herbert McCabe is saying is true all along, this was what I thought that I was saying that was getting me cast out of churches (laughs) was the idea that there is this distinction between the concept of the son of God. And we would, and like growing up, we always said this was in God's wisdom, right? Right. And so you can understand that's not that different or far apart from saying it's like eternally true or something, right? That like true outside of time, true outside the bounds of history. Okay, right? before
1: you go any further, I just want to say, Origen calls Christ the wisdom of God, okay? But that is an old church fathers, Christ is the wisdom of God.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Paul says that the power and the wisdom of God christ christ made man i forget where it's i should know that quote better but christ is the power and the wisdom of god yeah. right so it's like well what does he mean by that right so like when god is thinking is he thinking through jesus's mind right or something like that like does god not have his own brain but it's jesus's brain yeah it's like no that that's that's not what he's trying to say like does God exercise his power through the human being Jesus well kind of but it's like you know God it's it's like the demonstration or something like that the final crystallization of mm-hmm. God's wisdom and God's power is the crucifixion and it's very strange because it's like you know that doesn't seem like a moment of triumph that doesn't seem like a moment of power but but god's strength is made perfect in our weakness right weakness. Mm-hmm. and and God accomplishes his purposes in even through the works of unjust and imperfect people. right There was never anything that was more unjust than the crucifixion, but yet somehow, even in the maximally un- imperfect and unjust event in all of human history god c- accomplishes the final thrust of his power and it's like i just don't even know how to think about that right it's just so weird to even try and fully talk about and describe but yeah, it's something well, like that
1: It involves timelessness that's right. the that's the whole crux of the matter i think that's why it's so hard to conceptualize it right because it's it's then and 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 now Mm -hmm. all at the same and and into the future it's all at the same time right right it's all happening at once i can say it but i still don't get it you know right like Mm -hmm. yeah so it it, it's it's um uh, just a quick little note i i would look for it but i i don't want to waste any time um when Origin talks about wisdom, he talks about Christ as being wisdom, and he uses a lot of references from uh, the wisdom um, texts, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and wisdom, he d- he always talks about in the feminine, mm-hmm.
0: uh-huh. because which, the the Greek word Sophia is is feminine. So, oh, okay. So you like. Just like in like Spanish or something like that, right? Right? Yeah. right? Yeah. How all nouns have genders, right? Wisdom in Greek is is feminine, so so it's always a she. What
1: is it she. in
0: Hebrew? I wonder. Oh, chokmah. Uh, but I don't I don't know what gender that is.
1: Yeah.
0: I think because it's this is feminine. A, I think it's feminine cause lady think think because Lady Wisdom in Proverbs all... eight. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. I think Lady Wisdom in Proverbs eight is a lady because the Hebrew word just like the Greek word is feminine. Right. Right. hmm But even then, I I still think that there are probably some symbolic resonances about it being feminine too. I, I think don't think so. it's just limited to just the fact that, you grammar. know, grammar, oh, no. right.
1: I don't think it is either because, you know, it's it's not just laid out like that, you know, by mm-hmm. perchance, right? Um, right it gave me pause anyway to think about it because that was another concept that was new to me was this divine masculine and divine feminine and, you know, being part of the discord that, you know, the discussion about it. And it's all kind of like balls in the air for me. I, I you know, nothing's really landed and I don't really know you yeah. know, about that. Um, I do know that when God made Adam, he took Eve f- f- from him. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came to the conclusion that Adam and Eve were one thing, right they were- both masculine it it or whatever he or she yeah. or whatever was all divine i mean sort of an thing.
0: androgynous or something yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to minimize it with that word, but right and, and um and and that was the image of God as well right and and we do talk about this, so anyway that that's another little thing that just kind of jiggered me, you know, reading that. I was like,
0: hmm,
1: okay, that's interesting.
0: Right. And and part of me wonders if, like, this is related to the conversation that I had with Brett Sokol about transubstantiation, where it's like the meanings of the word changed over time, right? So when, like, Thomas Aquinas was describing transubstantiation, he meant something like you know, the bread and the wine change into the body and the blood, and we understand this sort of, you know, as a spiritual reality. Uh, That's a way of putting it. Maybe that's not quite the fullest way, right? And that's sort of what he meant. Like, in our minds, we, we no longer apprehend it as just bread and wine. We now, with our spiritual eyes, our symbolic eyes, can see the truth that it's actually the body and blood of Christ, right? And that was sort of the idea that he was trying to communicate with transubstantiation. Okay, well, then when you change the definition of substance, say, in after his lifetime, and then by the time, and no one notices that this change happened, and you change a couple of the other concepts, people are reading Thomas Aquinas, but they hear something different, right? And then the Protestant reformers are like, well, something's not right about that, right? Yeah it's not chemically changing into the body and the blood. Like we know that it doesn't do that. So we have to throw that all out and we're going to rebel against Thomas Aquinas, but they're rebelling against a misunderstanding. It's not that people didn't believe in the misunderstanding, right? There's like the side that believes in the misunderstanding, the side that's rebelling against the misunderstanding, but neither side is actually understanding Thomas Aquinas correctly
1: right and, and
0: and part of me thinks that the unitarianism trinitarianism thing is something like that
1: i think so too actually sam
0: mm-hmm. i
1: actually do i think it's a language problem yes it's a it's a lack of of language for one thing you know to describe what it is because it's probably ineffable
2: right yep. mm-hmm.
1: and um and it's also a loss of ter- proper terminology
0: right you know and like this timelessness eternality thing is right there in the crux of it it is right like 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 when we were talking about like that that mccabe quote that you just quoted and and john barron trying to understand athanasius it's like like when i was reading him most recently last month and i had that well wait a minute who agrees with him more who agrees with him less it's sort of like and, and that, that conversation with Brett was in the top of my mind. Well, what if neither of us are actually understanding yeah. what was really trying to be communicated? And there's sort of like the orthodox side, which has uses the same words and the superficial concepts, but actually things have changed, meanings have changed, concepts and metaphysics has changed. And so Unitarians are like, wait a minute, something's not right here. Something's right. gone wrong, so we're reacting against it, yeah and there's some truth in what we're reacting against, but yeah. we're not actually reacting against the earlier articulation
2: no. when
0: we actually understand it in its own on its own terms oh, it's or own something terms. like that
1: I think so I think, I think that's that's good mm-hmm. and you know that there, you know a lot of people are, are are a lot of people like to talk about the um how great language is and um when i think about language and and barfield ended up talking about this but this was before i read barfield actually the first thing that came to my mind was god gave us languages to send us in all directions right to to get away from this unifying spirit of we can be like God because that's really what it was, what it was about, right? It was the same lie that the serpent told Eve, you could be like God, right? You can reach the heavens, you know, and, and everyone was unified by language. It was by language that they found unity. It was by language that God dispersed them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, and so I think, and it's also by language that we have lost according to Barfield, his whole thing is shtick, his language, right? Yeah, right. It's language. And the shifts
0: of meaning over time and the subtle gradations of of words and connotation and all that stuff.
1: Right, and it's not like we have to correct anything. It's not like we have to go back and say, oh, well, we need to go back to the old language, you know, where we need to do, no. Barfield says, no, you gotta move right through it, right? It's part of the deal. Mm-hmm. It's a process that you're involved in, but this right. is why, right? And, um, and it comes from language and, and his big, you know, he, he really mourns the loss of poetic language. He says that original participation is shown in poetic language, right? When, when, when what's represented outside, like McDonald talks about reflects what's being, what's inside right? Mm-hmm. It's all talking to each other. That's the poetic. And, um, and then with the scientific revolution, we started to just dissect everything and lay it flat and pin it and look at it and get mm-hmm. stuck in the particulars, you know? And right. I think that that's what happened with theology too, honestly. Like this is original participation to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This is that poetic language. Um, and, and they can talk about timelessness and not get all befuddled. Right. We can't do that anymore. You know, we just, we can't, we, it's not like we couldn't, and I'm hoping that I can, but we want to, we want to make everything so graspable.
0: Right. 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 And it's weird, perhaps one of the only few things where we can still talk about timelessness is like mathematics or something like that, right? Like we we still have that idea that, well, mathematics seems always true and it seems like we're discovering it, right? Not inventing it as Mm -hmm. if there was some storehouse of mathematical truth that we're exploring or something like that. So, we still kind of have the idea there. But the fact that we only have it there means that we're just, we have a very left brained, kind of cold, emotionless attachment to this idea of eternality. And that we don't, like, it would seem silly for us almost to, for a modern person, to talk about poetic or symbolic or literary or mythological things as being true eternally whereas the pythagorean theorem might be true eternally you know the hero's journey doesn't seem like it's that same sort of thing right but but for for the the greek fathers maybe it wasn't so hard for them to to do both of those things
1: no i don't think it was um it's kind of like paul in the chat today when he said you know he was talking and reading the chat at the same time right
3: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) kind of kind of like that's just a little yeah but um oh, something came to mind when you were mentioning um the poetic these guys anyway, I lost it
0: hmm um it's like we don't have a right brained version of eternal truth or something anymore right or or an elephant version of eternal truth it's just well, it's just the propositional
1: yeah what i was what I was thinking was we Okay, so I used to think about eternity as being a long time. <laughs> okay?
2: Just it's more a of it. time <laughs> that
1: goes on forever. I never thought about timelessness, like no time. That's even harder to think about. Right. I can, I can imagine a time that goes forever. So, mm-hmm. you know? It's a line, right? It's like a spider's casting its web so that it can get to the next tree.
2: Right. You know,
1: it's a way of getting somewhere. Timelessness is like how do I go anywhere? How do I get anywhere? Where's my line?
0: You know? Mhm. Right. And and for for these theologians, it's like they are trying to explore and map out this timeless theological truth land, right? Mm-hmm. And that it's hidden in Christ, right? This is, this is what makes it Christian theology as opposed to some other perhaps kind of theology is that inside Christ are hidden all of the wisdom and treasures and knowledge of God. And that, mm-hmm. and that we can, it's like a portal or something like that. And that it's this portal to this, a timeless truth land, where you're trying to connect all of these things, recognize the patterns, connect it with Abraham, connect it with Moses, connect it with the exile, you know. The whole narrative arc becomes this thing that's all true simultaneously, together, eternally.
1: Right. Right. And that's what we've lost. I think we've lost that kind of, Mm -hmm. that perspective. right? Right. And that's what I'm finding in in the early church fathers is that perspective, right? You know, um, there's also this whole idea. I don't really know it very well, but Maximus touches on it, and I haven't gotten actually into his his writing on it. But it's called recapitulation, and it's really quite quite fascinating because it's almost like when I was reading the the, the little bit that I t- that he touches on it in the introduction. I got this idea of, of something that folds up, um, you know, let's say that there's, uh, this is going to be just my mind, <laughs> but anyway, you know, pieces of, of wood sticking out of my hand, right? And, and here too, and they fit together, right? Mm-hmm. And I can close my hand nice and tight and, and all those pieces have a place and they match up. That that's the New Testament, Christ's life and all everything, and the Old Testament. It's like this, right? Mm-hmm. It's two things that come together, and and it's not necessarily. I wouldn't want to use the term mirroring, but it's all complementary. And and this is very symbolic of this, right? This is a like the, the, the in real life the you know happenings. And this, this is all the symbolic stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And they just go like, like this. And, um, no, you know, like when, when Christ was on the road to Emmaus and he opened the scriptures and showed them, this is me, this is Mm -hmm. me, and this is me, and this is me. That's what he was doing. He was doing this. Yeah. Right. And, and, and suddenly their eyes were opened. You know, and I love how John Bear talks about it because he says they didn't know who he was when he was born. They didn't know who he was when they were in ministry with him. They didn't know who he was when he died. They didn't know who he was when, when he was resurrected. And on the road to Emmaus, they finally knew who he was and he disappeared mm-hmm. as, soon as, as soon as their eyes were opened. Right. Gone. Right. right? And actually, this is kind of random thought but nick was talking about something one time and he was saying it was in a Q and A with john um john verbakey on their server and he was saying you know it it's one of these things where you think you have it you you go like this and then it just slips just right right as you you know like a fish right like a
0: fish that's what i was thinking yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. and and um but then i thought well that that's kind of the the thing that that turns on that exploratory mode right you're like well wait i got you know there it was you know and i gotta go after it right and and um and that's that's the seeker thing that's the thing that draw you know that that's when you encounter beauty right it draws you in and um i'm probably sounding a little bit erratic here but i'm Having a whole bunch of thoughts because no. I'm thinking about Lilith as well. So there's this mirror in the story, right? And and um, the guy's following this man up up the stairs of of his house, and he gets into this room, and then the man goes into the mirror and turns into a raven, and he sees him out on the heath as such as a little bird. He's kind of you know leaning in, and he all of a sudden he's on the heath. He's through the mirror and and that that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly how i feel i i got this little glimpse in george macdonald right of this of this idea of universal reconciliation of god being all in all and that kind of you know that that went back to my big picture thing of the garden and christ and the you know and i and i leaned in and i went through this portal and here i am in mytho poetic land you know with origin and maximus and i'm going wow this is uh yeah this is just not what i thought you know it's not what and you know john bear said himself concerning the incarnation it's not as straightforward
0: as you think Mm -hmm. right right that i i really like that idea of, of recapitulation there's there's a there's a CD uh, a music um, uh, album uh, called the greatest story ever told, and it's put out by there's this very pretty conservative almost even f- fundamentalist church that that, um, that I I didn't go to it it was in Madison Wisconsin I went to like their competitor church that was slightly more moderate but I I knew some uh, I was a, a youth group leader. And um, some of my kids at my youth group actually went to the more conservative church, but they didn't have as good of a youth program, so they went to the youth program at my church. And so, but this music director um, put out this CD that I just think is fabulous. I think everyone should listen to it. It's called The Greatest Story Ever Told, and it's basically like a 45-minute album that is sort of like the story of the, the Bible. And right. there's a song about, you know, like Genesis, and a song about Exodus, a song about, you know, this, that, and, you know, a song that kind of works its way through the whole story of the Bible. And when it gets to Jesus, um, it, it uses uh, some of the music and some of the melodies and refrains from all of the earlier songs to bring them together into the final song that's about nice. Jesus. And I, I thought that that was really cool. And so right. it's sort of like that musical version uh, of what you're talking about, that Jesus ties together all these threads in a way that it never seems like they could have conceivably been tied together in. Right. I would. And have that, loved and to that know. everything makes sense in retrospect.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would have loved to know what, you know, I wish that the <laughs> the Gospels were a little more specific. He took us to this passage, and then this passage, yeah you know.
0: <laughs> that would have been nice yeah why did why would, didn't we, we get the been road been to process. Emmaus sermon recorded? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would have been good,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, yeah,
0: although maybe that's what the Gospels are doing when they reference the Old Testament all the time maybe maybe they're yeah. scattering the lessons from the road to Emmaus uh throughout the whole gospel already us.
2: yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah i i i looked into uh, one parable of the blind man being healed and um a Arani- a Ar- Ar- saint iranus iranus Ar- how do you say his name
0: Irenaeus, i think
1: Irenaeus. he um he does a little thing on it on the the healing of the man born blind. He takes it back to Genesis, right? When mm-hmm. Jesus took the the dirt and the spittle and made clay and put it on his eyes, it was a it was a, a re re creation
2: story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: And and you know this is the kind of thing that that these early church fathers are doing for me. They're just they're bringing. It's like someone's coloring in the picture.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's it's just it's just so different than yeah. I hear anyone else talk about. Like there's some people that are doing it and maybe there's something of a renaissance for that form of thinking or hopefully it's coming back around. And like like you said, McDonald was, he was in the mid to late 1800s or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. And and C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and and uh, those sorts of folks knew all about him. But but it does seem like this is perhaps something that is, it's coming back around, or at least I sure hope so.
1: Yeah, I, I do too. And, you know, I, re- I do remember one time listening to um, Jonathan Peugeot talking about how he felt like, there was a transformation coming for Christianity that it had to happen right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um and then i re- and, and then shortly after he said that, I was reading something by Chesterton, where he said that you know Christianity is going to be about mysticism, right, in a sense, not woo, but you know just looking at these things differently and um I mean it's the journey I'm on it doesn't necessarily mean it's the journey everybody else is on, but I do think. I mean, just evidenced by um, the effect that Jordan Peterson had on the world. Mm -hmm. That is what we're looking for. Yeah, we are looking for um, the meaning behind the symbolic, or the meaning in the symbolic, or the symbolic meaning in our lives, or something to that extent. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we've been worn out. A little bit by the scientism and yes. new atheism and nihilism and all the rest and the of
0: Christian it. version of it too. Yeah. Yeah, and the
1: Christian version of it too.
0: Yeah. I feel Absolutely. like I feel like it was kind of Kierkegaard who sort of helped kick me out of that sort of frame of thought. Um And it was again right around that same time that I tried to read the Church Fathers the first time, but didn't really get them. Yeah. And. And it was sort of like one of those things where, like, yeah, like, I I know what the word mysticism means now, right? It's it's really, like, it doesn't need to be too woo. It's just the experience, I guess. It's the subjective version of Christianity, right? Right. (laughs) It's what it's like to be a Christian inside your own head. You know, you don't need to... (laughs) to make it sound too much more mysterious than that in a certain right. sense. Right. And it was it was like all of all of my upbringing, both the unitarian and the and the evangelical side were all about, you know, talking very propositionally about, you know, what yeah. Christianity is in terms of describing it. And it's not like there wasn't a experiential side, right? Like the music was experiential. And the church that I grew up in was charismatic. And we did some things that were very experiential or participatory, but we didn't, t- we didn't know how to talk about it. It was weird, yeah. it was like, it was there, but there was this weird disconnect between yeah. what the ser- how the sermons talked and what we were supposed to get out of them. And then, okay, so why are we praying? Why are we singing these songs? How, how do these things connect exactly? It was always left unclear. They didn't have the vocabulary for it, really. Mm -hmm. I've
1: always had the feeling, at least in the circles that I was in, and I was in even more conservative circles than you, okay? Like, there was no charismatic stuff going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I dipped in and out of it, you know, just to check into things, because I'm very open, right? So, you know, I didn't have a problem with that. But any of the churches that we were a part of, my husband and I, when the kids were little and stuff, or, you know, when I first became a christian like i couldn't even talk in church I had to wear a head covering you know the whole nine yards right wow so um but i always got a feeling that they were water skiing right like they're just they're having a lot of fun and they're getting wet but they're just on the top of the water and really they need to be scuba diving mm-hmm.
2: right? and
1: discovering all the stuff on the bottom. And watching the fish and seeing the ecology and figuring out how why, why why is this water here and why is it clean and how come it's so deep and you know <laughs> but no they're just whoosh, right on the surface you know mm-hmm. just water skiing and um and you know i did i did the same thing i didn't i didn't know any better i i didn't you know honestly i didn't even know these people existed yeah yeah I, i'm 57 and I just discovered that there were guys writing books.
0: yeah you know, I, I, I had to figure hundreds. I had to find out about them myself too. yeah. no it's one different. no one ever taught me, right? I maybe no. knew who Augustine was, right kind of but but that was that was name. basically it. Yeah. You heard the name yeah I, I think you're you're absolutely right. I like that water skiing analogy, and I do think it it is that Jordan Peterson helped the water skier look down for yes. the first time. Yes um. And it's funny, like my my church right now, that I, I like for the most part, but the pastor's going through Exodus, right? So I'm getting my, we're getting our Exodus um, series. and And like he spends some amount of time trying to remind us and argue for why we can trust that Moses wrote the book. And I'm just like, yeah. boring, boring. <laughs> You know, it's like, get into it. And like, it's like the te- the parts that I find most interesting are when the text is like getting through despite himself sometimes. Right. And and uh, so, I don't know. It, it, it's weird. It's weird going through the process and still being kind of stuck on the other side in your environment too.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not having that. I'm not having that experience because I don't go, I don't attend a church. And I honestly, I don't know if I could, it would be hard. It would be really hard. I I go,
0: I go for the community. I go for the friends and the connections. I want it to, you know, I have a a young daughter. And so I want that to be, Mm -hmm. you know, part of the rhythm of, you know, the week. Although this virus has made that super weird. And, you know, and I always like music, even cheesy evangelical Mm -hmm. music. I still have a soft spot for that um and and that sort of thing, and you know, maybe I can hopefully get involved to the extent that they let me theologically, and I can help be part of making it a little bit more what I think it could be more fully sure. and sure. i I don't know what else I could do, so
1: yeah, 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 yeah yeah i can we can talk we can talk once about why I don't go to church It's just not something that I want to share publicly, so. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been just great.
0: This has been great. Um, may maybe we should wrap it up there. You you and I can maybe talk for a little bit more, um, uh, sure. and our audience can only wonder about uh, what what <laughs> it what it is that we were talking about. But I think that might be a good good enough place to stop.
1: Okay. It was it was really nice. Thank you so much. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your Friday night with me.
1: Yeah, no problem.